Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Left of Straight Show with your host, Scott Fullerton, as we discuss everything under the rainbow sun, from LGBT issues to foodies, entertainment to books. Join us as we talk to some of the most interesting leaders and celebrity LGBT guests and allies on the Internet. So grab a cocktail, it's always happy hour somewhere, and enjoy the show. Now, here's your host, Scott Fullerton. Well, howdy, 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 everybody. Hey, guys, once again, welcome to the Left of Straight Show. It is Thursday, May 7th, 2020. I'm your host, Scott Fullerton, and we are one day away from the weekend. But what does that even mean anymore? Seriously. Hopefully, things are going to start getting back together. It seems like maybe Friday and Monday, some states are opening up more and more. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I read today that some Missouri state or city opened yesterday, and there was two people in the entire downtown area of the city. So who knows what's going to happen? It's going to be a slow trudge back to a new semi-normal. But I hope you guys are having a good week so far. Mine is good. Been very busy, but I'm enjoying it. The weather's weird in Ohio. It's got cold again. It's going to be in the 30s again tonight. I'm over that, but that won't be lasting for too much longer. Hope you guys enjoyed yesterday's show. Had three great all-new interviews with my buddy Josh Sabera, who's an amazing publicist and produces television, and Enoch Miller, the empress of WeHo, who does amazing interviews out there over on the West Coast, and Al Geiner, who lives in Columbus near me here. He's a PR guy. He has a lot of clients uh, virtually all over the country and the U.K., and he also has his own kilt shop. Yes, you heard it right. He makes kilts, and they're very cool, and you can even design your own pattern. So very cool. That was a fun show. If you missed it, go ahead and download it from your favorite podcast distributor. Of course, run all the big ones, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and iTunes, Google Podcasts, but all the little ones, too. So And when you download it, I hope you're hitting the subscribe button. That always helps it. And if you really like the episode, give it a five-star rating. It doesn't make me feel much better, but it does make the place you're doing that at rank, uh, bring it up in the ranking so more people find the show, and I'd really appreciate that. So I appreciate you doing that. Today, in just a couple seconds, I have two brand-new interviews. We're calling it Writer's Block Thursday. I have a block of two amazing writers. Up first, in just a couple of seconds, going to be Greg White. He is a screenwriter. He's written for television, for movies. He is an author. He has written a book called The Pink Marine because, yes, he was a Marine for six years before Don't Ask, Don't Tell. And he's also a pretty darn good cook. He cooks every day. He was featured on the Cooking Channel, the sister channel to the Food Network. So uh, Greg White is going to be on first, just a couple of seconds. 
And then my second interview today is with Dennis Hensley. Dennis is also an amazing writer. He's done profiles and feature interviews on so many great people. Um, Charlize Theron. We have a great story about um, Carrie Fisher. And he's got a lot of great stories, written a bunch of really cool things. He was a cruise ship guy. He's also created an amazing board game that you can either order the hard copy of the game and play it at home with friends, or you can get a hosted Zoom of the game, and you can invite your closest friends over. Him and his company will host the game so you don't have to do any work. And you all go in and play this really fun game. So we'll talk about that. And other projects he has. He has his own podcast. And he's always got something exciting going on. So two great interviews that I just had earlier this week. So I'm excited to bring both of those to you. Because I only have two interviews today, we can take a little more time. We're not going to do the full two hours today. So I'll go into a little bit of news that's been going around the hemisphere lately. Um, thought it was interesting today. I've been seeing this rainbow Spongebob Squarepants meme like everywhere on my social media lately. You have no idea what it was. Well, it turns out that I guess there's been an anti-gay meme circulating on Twitter. It basically has uh, Netflix and Amazon Prime joining forces to clap back against homophobes. What the uh, tweet or what the meme does, it shows one of the SpongeBob characters pressing a Netflix down into a funnel or pressing, pushing down on this big thing they're trying to shove through the funnel. The big thing is every unnecessary gay character you never wanted or something that goes in the funnel and SpongeBob is Netflix. So basically saying that Netflix is just doing unnecessary gay characters and knock it off. So Netflix uh, just kind of snapped back out a little bit and said uh, on it, one of their own tweets, sorry you've yet to realize that every gay person is very necessary, which I thought was kind of cool. And that in turn spurred Amazon Prime, who is their competitor really, um, to join in the fray. And they kind of responded back to Netflix with a, a gif of SpongeBob opening up his hands and a rainbow coming out. So that's where that gif came from. It was Amazon supporting Netflix, who is being harassed by a meme on Twitter that they are allowing too many gay characters into their shows. So that was interesting. I just didn't know what the heck that meme was all about. I saw it everywhere. Hey, if you listened a couple weeks ago, I had Jay Rodriguez on. Jay was, of course, on the original Queer Eye for the Straight Guy on Bravo back in the day, and, of course, was in Rent and so many great shows, um, Reba McIntyre and so many other things. He teased on our interview a couple weeks ago that he was going to be getting together with his cast and going against the new class in a game show. And it turned out that they are doing a classic family feud, old Queer Eye cast versus new Queer Eye cast. It's going to be on May 31st. They're playing for charity. It's a season premiere of Celebrity Family Feud. And it's really cool. They have the original cast. They're going to have uh, Jay, of course, and then they're going to have Carson Kressley, Ted Allen, Kean Douglas, and Tom Felicia. So all the original characters. 
Any money they raise is going to go towards the Trevor Project against uh, LGBT suicide, which is, of course, amazing. And then the current Queer Eye team will include Bobby Burke, Jonathan Van Ness, Anthony Porowski, Tan France, and Wesley Hamilton is chipping in for Karamo Brown. He had some kind of other engagement. And so I guess Wesley Hamilton was in season four a couple times. So they are playing for GLSEN, G-L-S-E-N, the Gay, Lesbian, and Straight Education Network, which focuses on LGBTQ issues in schools. So it's going to be a great, uh, great event to see the new Queer Eye and the old Queer Eye going. Jay's become a good friend of the show. And, uh, yeah, that'll be on May 1st. So look for that when the premiere of Celebrity Family Feud. And then finally, I had a couple weeks ago, one week or two weeks ago, I had on my friend from the Adam from the Equality Ohio Law Office talking about different things we're trying to do nationally and in Ohio. And Ohio has been trying to get what they call uh, the fairness doctrine passed here that'll give um, equal protection to LGBTQ community. Right now, Ohio is one of a handful of states that we have no protection. So basically, you can be a landlord and say, I don't like you for being gay, move out of your apartment, you're kicked out. I don't like you for being gay, you've lost your job. So Ohio is one of the few states that can still do that. So we've been trying to pass the um, Fairness Act, the Equality Fairness Act for a while now. And Andy talked about when he was on the show. Um, And we have Republican legislatures here. The state legislature is all Republican and it's pretty heavily Republican. So it's been around for like five years now wasn't passed. That's what Equality Ohio was based on back in uh, 2014 or um, 2004, 2004. Whenever um, George W. Bush ran, they tried to make it all about marriage equality over the place and all the states were doing um, no marriage, marriage is only between a man and a woman. We passed that in Ohio, of course. So uh, it's been going, that's when Ohio or Equality Ohio started. But anyway, a lot of the little towns in Ohio, I've been passing their own Fairness Doctrine Act. So Youngstown actually has one where I'm near where I'm from here. So a new city called Gambier, Ohio, passed an LGBT inclusive human rights ordinance via Zoom last week because nobody's meeting. So their city council thought it was an important enough thing to bring up in their Zoom council meeting. So we have another city. So it's slowly happening here in Ohio, and that makes me very, very happy. And that's about it. I do have two pretty big announcements coming up. One is going to come tomorrow, and I've teased about it a little bit, talking about my Council of Gays, and I'm going to have some special correspondence showing the Left of Straight show. I'm going to make that announcement official tomorrow. And then on Monday, I have a very big announcement. Um, What can I hint about that? Let's just say it's not the first time we'll be doing this. And hopefully that'll give you guys all enough of a clue. So two big announcements, one tomorrow, one on Monday. But let's jump into the show. I'm very excited. Like I said, first up, Greg White, a screenwriter, a Marine, a great home cook. And we're going to go ahead and play it after a little bit of music here. Listen to Left of Straight show right here on the Left of Straight radio network. Have a good evening, everybody. I'll be between. I'll be here to wrap it up at the end. Okay. Bye bye.
He's been a great friend of the show. He just finished his residency in Puerto Vallarta last month. We'll see what happens with his summer residency in P-Town this year. Comes on the show right before he heads out there, but I don't know what's going to happen. But I'm excited for my next guest, guys. He is a true triple threat on the left of straight shows. He hits all three of our core values, entertainment, foodies, and books. As an actor, writer, and producer, he was mentored by none other than the great Norman Lear. He's written and produced many projects, as well as authoring a memoir about his time in the Marines titled The Pink Marine. And he has been featured in sections of the Cooking Channel's Unique Sweets. He's also an avid blogger and traveler, a self-described bon vivant man around town. So please welcome to the Leftist Trade Show for the very first time, Mr. Greg White. Greg, how we doing, man? Thank you. I can hear the applause out there. That's a great intro. I want to be that person, Scott. You are that person, my friend, and they are the thundering applause. It's like 7 o'clock in New York right now for all the rescue workers. They're loving you. Wow, they are doing such a great job. I'm so grateful. You know, the other half of my book, the guy that I enlisted with as a teenager, is a doctor. He's an anesthesiologist. He's still working. He's on the line. His wife is a nurse. She runs a surgery center, and his daughter is now an anesthesiologist. She is pregnant, and she is in the OR today doing cases. Oh, wow. Well, best wishes and well thoughts out to them. How are you coping with quarantine uh, 2020? You doing okay? You don't have to tell a writer to self-quarantine. That's how we roll anyway. <laughs> That's the way I've, I've been I've been hearing that from a lot of my uh, friends that are writers out there, that it's very much a, uh, a same thing, same 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 bat time, same bat channel for them. But are you finding at least a nice view to do it in? Were you stuck in one place? Are you able to get out a little bit or talk about uh, how you're coping? I'm very lucky to live in Santa Monica. It is beautiful pretty much all the time. And so all I have to do is step outside. I have I did plant a vegetable garden because usually I am here I'm only here about half the year normally. I My partner lives in Montreal, so we go back and forth there, and then uh, we spend a lot of time. So I'm rarely here for more than one or two months at a time. But because of this, I'm going to be here all summer, so I have planted a vegetable garden, and I love having something else to handle and take care of and worry about and raise. Very nice, and one of the side effects that there is any bonus to this thing is the air quality cannot be much better. It's got to be just gorgeous there, so it'll be a nice time to stay around that part of the world. Yes, I will um, I will report back and let you know how my cucumber and eggplant crop comes along. <sighs> I just made yesterday, I am a huge fan of uh, – Cucumbers and onions mixed with sour cream and apple cider vinegar. Oh, my favorite little snack. Oh, that's nice. You just let it marinate for 15 or 20 minutes. If you put about a, a teaspoon of sugar in it, uh, you'll have pickles. Just slice those cucumbers super thin. I didn't know I could make them into pickles. That sounds good. I keep them kind of thick and just use it as a summer snack, a spring and summer snack. You know, it's I just really like nice the- to- When you're making dinner as part of your prep, the first part of your prep, just especially if you're having an Asian dinner, it's really nice to slice some cucumbers super thin and just set them in a bowl, put about a teaspoon of sugar, and 
tablespoon of vinegar, a little salt, and stir it around and let them hang out while you're prepping dinner. And then by the time you're ready to eat, you have a beautiful relish. It's a great side dish if you're making anything Asian, if you're making Thai, if you're just going to make a stir fry. That nice acidy crunch is super. That is a wonderful pro tip. I'm going to take you up on that, my friend. Very, very cool. Well, let's jump into it. I always like to get a little background on your first time on the show. Let my listeners know where did you grow up, what kind of a were you, and what did you want to be when you grew up? That is a that's, I like that question. That's a good question. I was born in Lubbock, Texas. We couldn't afford the accent, so that's why you don't hear it. And <laughs> I went, we moved around so much. I was not in the military. I was not in a military family. But we ended up moving around so much that I went to 13 schools in 11 years. I went to oh my three schools just in the, in the 10th grade. I was raised by, um, you know, I think other people can identify with this. I was raised by a narcissist single mom. I have three brothers. And she just kind of forgot that she had kids. And we would just wake up one morning and suddenly we'd be moving to Utah, moving to New Orleans. While that made it certainly expanded my world it's just a chaotic way to grow up and then I started getting more grounded when I graduated high school at 16 in Little Rock Arkansas and I after a year of college my best friend who I met in one of my in ninth grade in New Orleans he had been to the Air Force Academy and he said, uh, uh, I'm going to go away for this summer. I'm going to join the Marine Corps, and I'll be back in time for my sophomore year. I just am going to go to Paris Island, spend the summer in boot camp. And I had no goals in life. I didn't know what I was going to be. I wanted to be an actor, and I wanted to write, but I didn't know what that looked like or how I was going to get there. So when he told me mm. that whole speech, all I really heard was summer camp. And I said, I love summer camp. I'll go with you. So that that prompted a lot of arguments from him, from my mother. And the more people that told me no, the more I wanted to do it. And you'll learn from the book the length I had to go to enlist in the Marine Corps. But I did end up, I lied and cheated to get in because it was illegal to be gay and serve at that time. And I just butched it up as best I could. And I ended up serving in the Marine Corps for six years, and that gave me the foundation that I needed for the rest of my life. That is amazing. Well, let's uh, jump into the book in two seconds. Let's start with um, you said you were in it as, as a gay person. When did you first come out to yourself, and who was the first person you ever told? First person was Dale, my best friend, who's still, as I mentioned, he's in surgery today. We're still best friends. And... It, it was, you know, at a time when it just wasn't talked about. We were 13, and it was a, a pretty cut-and-dry situation. It was a sort of a so-you-don't-like-girls kind of a talk, and I just saw a door, and I said no. And I hadn't acted on it yet, but I was probably 13 then. And because of his support and his inclusion – uh, to me with everything that he did, you know, I, I, he didn't shut me out of hanging out with any of his friends or judge me in any way. 
he just went with it. And I don't even have to say that he accepted me because he never rejected me. He never had to come around. That's a great story. I, when did you first come out to yourself? When did you first kind of think this is the way I am? I was figuring it out when I was about eight and nine years old. You know, I saw who I was, who I was interested in. I didn't know what arousal was or what sex, but I knew, you know, that if I saw a certain actor on television or uh, a sexy boy in my class or whatever, I certainly knew that that was the direction I was headed. Right, I still right. dated girls. Okay, I was yeah. engaged to a girl. I had sex with girls in high school, but I, you know, nothing. Uh, that, that was definitely a walk on the wild side. I didn't really. I was very similar to that. I uh, they they say talk about the gold star gaze. I was never that. I was the same way. I was in the closet enough to date women in high school and all that. Never got engaged. Was didn't quite go that far, but uh, uh, definitely. I just like shopping for jewelry. Oh, there you go. I yeah. like it. Very nice. Good comeback there. All right. Well, let's jump into the book. It's called The Pink Marine. I want to talk about your time in the service. I mean, can't have a better introduction. We got Norman Lear doing the forward to the book. I love your plugs that you've done with Betty White and Christopher Atkins and Armin Shiverman. I mean, those were so much fun. What I got to do with, with the book, I, I, I've written on a couple of shows of Norman's, and so I reached out to him to write the forward because Norman flew over 200 combat missions in World War II, and he's a legendary LGBT rights activist and philanthropist, and he's a dear friend, and so he was the perfect person to write that forward. He's a great guy. At you know, 97 years old today, he is. If I were to text him right now, he'd text me back way before any of his kids would with perfect wow. punctuation, by the way. And if you're not <laughs> watching, if you're on Instagram, he's giving a lot of great morning breakfast video, very inspiring Instagram chat. He's, uh, you know, he's got several shows on the air. He, it's, it's great. That book was my chance to answer the call when bullying started becoming the story instead of the victim. You had kids choosing to end their lives because they were being bullied. And I wanted to write a story about my experience going through something tough, and hopefully someone reading it will think, ah, let me just hang on a little bit longer because we need to, we all need to survive the bullying. I like that a lot. We talk about that experience in the service and what you brought from that to the book. And uh, let us know. This was before Don't Ask, Don't Tell. This was um, before anything was even good. They actually asked yeah, you just before if you were gay, right? Tell. It was just flat out. And they asked you several different ways to try to trip you up. You know, So I had never had that conversation with a stranger. And when Dale and I went to the enlistment office to sign up, we kind of thought we were doing them a favor. You know, Vietnam had only ended five or six years before. I figured they needed guys. So we went in with the, I'm going to do you a favor and sign up in your military. And <laughs> the guy started, you know, I'm sure he looked me over and thought, what the hell? And he, um, he asked, he said, are you a homosexual? 
and I had to answer without registering any emotion in my voice or my face or, you know, had to put that wrist down. And I said no. And then he asked it again. And he asked, you know, do you have any, do you have any homosexual thoughts? And I'm looking at this incredibly studly Marine right off the recruitment poster <laughs> and right in front of me. And I'm thinking, dude, I'm having one right now. But <laughs> kept on the track and kept denying it, denying it, denying it. And I signed the contract. I got through. And then, as you'll see in the book, I didn't pass the physical. And by uh, I had to go through some pretty extreme lengths to pass the physical. That was a pretty crazy story. And once I was in, you know, it's a bizarre world. There's no question. I was not ready for any of that. Dale had warned me when I expressed interest in joining him. He said, you can't do it. You've never run a mile. You don't know anything about the military, and you're gay. And I thought, ah, piece of cake. I can figure all that out. And first up, running's running's hard, but luckily I'm thin, or was it really skinny then? And I, it turned out that that was a, I was great at running, but I'd never fired a weapon. I had to learn all that. And a lot of the guys that I went in with went in for those very reasons because they were very fit already, because they were great shots, because they'd been studying the Marine Corps and and striving for this their entire lives. The the Marine Corps is the proudest of the services and we're you know, we're kind of well, we believe we're the best. And what I learned in the really quickly is the sense of camaraderie. You really do understand what a sense of brotherhood is. I've never had that with guys. I've never had that with you are locked in and, a pressure cooker. And how did you and adapt to the and, regimency of it? Because you talked about your mom really kind of being an absentee parent where there was no structure, no rules, and now you're in the military that is nothing but structure and rules. How are you able to adapt to that? I loved it. I was craving it. You know, as crazy as the days get in the military, as wild and insane, if you're on a mission – or if you're training, whatever it is, I quickly figured out that they stop three times a day for meals. So I learned to <laughs> keep that carrot in front of my face while I was training. So I could be, you know, force marching through mud with a 75 pound pack on my back, but I knew that in just a couple of hours we were going to stop and have dinner. That dinner wasn't going to be great, but you are grateful for the time, grateful for the fight, and then at the end of the day, hit the rack. So it's, uh, it, I like that structure, and that structure, thank God that that structure came in my life, or I wouldn't be able to do everything that I'm involved in now. You know, I have a fairly regimented writing schedule. I write every day, and uh, the, the lockdown is already sort of how I rolled. I write on, like I mentioned, I write on Skype with my writing partner in Hollywood. I'm out of seats. And so we write on Skype every morning till about one or two, depending on if we're on a deadline or about to go in production. And then um, if I'm a part who's in Montreal, uh, like now, 
and this is we've been together for 13 years for if we're apart for one month or two months which is often the case my workday stops at 3:30, and i put on a live skype cooking show for that audience of one so it's 6:30 his time he sits back he's got a cocktail and he's watching me cook and i cook i don't eat at 3:30, but i cook and then <laughs> uh at four o'clock we you know he turns his camera on and we have dinner together and hang out and and catch up on our day. That's so fantastic. I was used to that. I was used to the Zoom life a while ago. It's just now a little longer than we'd planned. That is so romantic and amazing. I love that story. Very, very cool. Well, he's well, Jewish, so he gets involved in the cooking. Oh, okay, you, you know, course, I'm, I'm, I'm in the kitchen and <laughs> I get a lot of, is that salt? You're going to burn the fish. <laughs> Oh, I love it. That's but he's a really good he's a good cook and he has definitely expanded my my palate. You know, uh I grew up pretty much with a standard American diet and through travel and other the military and other things I I learned different cultures and learned to cook different ways. I don't appropriate other people's cultures, but I can cook an Asian dish, I can cook a Thai dish, I can cook uh, I don't make sushi, but I can cook a little French. And then he's Iraqi, so I have learned a lot of Iraqi Jewish dishes, and the flavors are incredible. Cardamom, cinnamon, cumin I had from Texas, but just the, the flavor profile of the Iraqi Jewish diet is fantastic. Very, very new. Right, right. Very, very cool. Well, back to the book for a second. Um, talk about this wasn't an easy road to hoe. You kind of almost had to set up your own publicity tour and everything else. Talk about getting it out there? How was it first accepted? How did you enjoy the process of getting it out there? Talk about that for a second. Well, first off, I thought that my TV agent would be the agent for the book. So when I first started writing the book, I called my my literary agent and said, uh, I'm writing a book. And he said, what's the book? So there's process, (laughs) the business side. You know, I, I figured that all of my entertainment experience, some of it does, I thought all of it would translate to the book world, but no. Uh, so I had to find a separate agent, and and you know I, I will be honest, writing a book is hard. Writing a script is hard, but it's um, it's shorter, and to write several hundred pages and then work with a copy editor back and forth, you know, the whole process took about a just took over a year, and concurrently we were, I had found an agent and she was shopping it around. If you're an author out there and an aspiring author out there, I can't recommend enough following um, Jane Friedman, F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N. She runs a great blog. She ran Publishers Weekly for 20-something years, and now she is uh, a a writing consultant, and she's got a blog with a billion free tips on it. I've written for her on, you know, because people always want to know how to write for television and such around that, right. but great tips on agents and shopping around. So I concurrently did the creative side as the business side, just as we do in Hollywood. You know, I, I have to spend a lot of time with agents and studios and all that stuff in addition to creating the material. So with the book, it was, I, I used my Marine Corps training and I trudged through those 12, 14, sometimes 18-hour days of nonstop writing 
especially in the editing place. And then once it found a home and we knew it was coming out, that was, you know, it's a little crazy. Publishers aren't like they used to be. And so I had a publisher and I was not enjoying his process. And I started hearing some negative stories about him. My agent had done one book with him before, but wasn't happy with him. And he was kind of known for publishing gay literature. And while my book is certainly about me being gay, uh, I'm going to be honest with the audience. It's not that gay because it really celebrates the 70 other names that I served with. None of them were gay. It's an ensemble piece. And I, I want to always honor and talk about the things that I learned from living with other Marines. Um, right. I had sex with plenty of Marines later. Those, those stories will do in the television show. Um, it's options and being developed for television now by Sony and uh, we'll see what that looks like. Um, yeah, I'm excited about that because we get to tell, you know, so many more stories that I didn't get to include in the book. So the book is a coming of age tale. So it, you know, carries me pretty much from the age of 10 all the way till I was 19. And the, the experience of writing it is really like any other mission, you know, it's an admission, uh, and I learned from the Marines how to accomplish a mission. I wrote from a really strong outline and then uh, started chunking the chapters out and then hung the meat on the bone. And then I, my writing partner, Sean Dwyer, my TV writing partner and screenwriting partner, he did a really good job and was very influential in my second draft. And he's hilarious. And then it helped um, get it in shape for the editor. And then once it came out with that publisher, I, I did not like that publisher. I didn't like dealing with him. I was, he's in New York and I was in New York. That's where I shot my, I was on a, a TV reality cooking show for Mark Burnett during the time that I wrote the book. That's the only job I took. And then Food Network called as I was writing the book and asked if they, could turn my blog into a TV show. And I said, yeah, let's talk about that. So I went to New York and then ended up shooting a pilot for them. And then they put me on Unique Suite and I've done some other things for them. And, but I really focused on the on screenwriting and TV writing. The publisher was a bad guy. It turns out he, I had to get away from him. So my agent told him that I wanted to cancel the contract and the book was out. It had been out about three weeks. And I was, I, through Food Network, I had met uh, the head of Ingram book distributor, and we formed a relationship. And so I pulled her aside in New York and said, if I write another book, will you publish it? And she said, you form a publishing company, we'll publish anything you write. So I kept that in the back of my mind, and then I decided to hire a lawyer and cancel the book contract. It's really hard to cancel the book especially because we were pretty sure he, you know, we always intended this book to be a movie or a television series. Um, so you hope for that. So he had that aspiration. And then I had a heart attack. And oh my goodness. It, on my way into surgery, it was, you know, as a doctor has induced heart attack. I'm fine, by the way. They put some stents in. And I wrote an email to my publisher and copied my agent, who I'd called on the phone before, 
And I said, contract just got canceled, bitch. And that was it. I, while I was recovering from the heart attack, I formed my own publishing imprint and republished the book under my imprint. I own every bit of it. He doesn't make a nickel off of anything. And the book was, it, it, just, it just was seamless. Nobody ever knew that the book did any changes. I was responsible for the cover. My boyfriend did that book cover. And the, uh, he's, a, he's a marketer. He's a businessman, but he understands marketing, so he helped me with some of that. And then I already had a slate of TV appearances scheduled that I'd set up, and we just kept it up. So I had to lay low for about two weeks after the heart attack. There's some pretty funny stories about there out there. There's one, I think, on Huffington Post. It might be on my blog, too, called uh, An Idiot's Guide to Surviving a Heart Attack. And I, I, did, <laughs> I was able to find the funny. But, oh, my goodness. So, so the book, that was the publishing process for me. And then uh, I stayed on tour for one year and uh, met fantastic people, both just people that appreciated the gay coming-of-age story. I met a ton of uh, Marines and military people, and that was great. And it was just a, a wonderful experience once I took control of it. That's fantastic. I'm so glad you And like I said – the marketing was great. I love the plugs you got. Uh, Betty White looks like you just sat down next to her for lunch. I don't know how you got all these things. Chris and I are friends, old friends. He's a great guy. You know, I, I really did call friends. Armin Shimmerman's been a friend for a long time. His wife, Kitty Swank, is a dear friend. And I was over. I was at their house doing something. And I'm like, let's do a video. And then with Betty White, yeah, we were just at a party. And I, we were talking, and I, I told her the book was coming out, I think, in a week. And she goes, let's give it a shout out. I'm like, let's go. So she did that nice. whole bit. She came up with all that. Yeah, Chris, uh, Chris Gorham and his wife, Anel, are both dear friends. Chris played of that on, uh, on a show for, I think, six seasons, Covert Affairs. And right. he's very supportive of veteran causes and a super guy, a great family crazy about him and his wife so oh. i've actually tried to get him on the show I, he worked my friend bill alberson that you might know was a producer on the insatiable show that's kind of based on his life and so it's like yeah hit me a contact he hasn't done it yet i'm happy next to you with chris lauren that created insatiable is a, a friend she's wonderful too she's done a great job with that show kimmy shields is hysterical on that show carly hughes i worship her if you're not watching her cooking videos on Instagram, you're not living your best life because she is. <laughs> All right. Well, I want to talk television a for a bit. Topic. We don't have too much time today. We're going to have to have you back and go into a lot of these stories. But two things. I mean, when I'm doing my research, I was looking at some of your early work, and you done a couple episodes on Powers That Be, which was one of my favorite sitcoms. It only lasted for like one season. But the cast was amazing. John Forsythe, Holland Taylor, Peter McNichol, David Hyde Pierce, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and then Craig Birko made an appearance. That was fantastic. That cast was incredible. It's, you know, it's, sometimes for a writer it's hard to serve nine characters, but that cast made it easy. Plus, not the chain political comedy, which I just chewed right into. Holland Taylor is a hitter. John Forsythe, John Forsythe was absolutely hysterical, 
and it was David Hyde Pierce's first TV show, and he was always that funny, and it was great to work with him. And then uh, Joey Joseph Gordon Levitt was ten. Yeah, he was a youngster. I loved writing. I loved writing on that show, and it ran for two seasons. It ended. NBC didn't have a companion for it yet. Will and Grace wasn't out, and so they just didn't have anywhere to anything to pair it with. It was a half hour. They needed another half hour to go with it. It was a great show. I love political. I'm a huge political junkie. I love comedy, and it was uh, one of my favorites. Uh, that is like, great. They're uh, all up on YouTube. Every they are. episode yeah. is on YouTube. Fantastic. And then I want to talk about recently. I am uh, all my listeners know I am a huge sappy Hallmark guy. I watch a lot of Hallmark movies. I religiously tape every single Christmas movie, usually the same ones each year. Some always the new ones. You did Holiday Rush with, uh, oh, my God, Sonequa Martin-Green. We're talking Star Trek, Sonequa which is another Green. fan of mine. Talk about that show. She did you get goddess. to go on set, and how was that? What kind of experience was that? I On that and Walk Red Rodeo, I've produced what I write, too. So I'm on the set every day. Uh, I just switch hats. I'm a producer at that point. I still rewrite if there's a need. Uh, Sonequa was fantastic. You know, I was a little trepidatious because sometimes when you're a white guy and you're writing on a black show or a black uh, a black movie people want to know you know why isn't a black person writing that and the first day Shaniko came up to my chair on set and she just looked at me for a second paused and I thought what is she gonna say and she said how come you write like I talk <laughs> because I'm, I'm like you I'm just another person you know, Norman has a great quote. It's the bumper sticker on his car, and it says, I'm just another version of you. And, you know, I was able to write Walk Eyed Rodeo because I'm a big horseback rider. So when I got that strip, that was, that was I could hook onto that because of my experience of horses. I, I play polo. I don't ride rodeo. But my dad rode rodeo. My dad rode his, broke his back on uh, a rodeo horse. But uh, oh my Walk Ride Rodeo was that if you haven't seen that that was a lot of fun to write and produce but uh holiday rush we wanted to write um i wanted to show a strong single father that was my mission behind that so it was a great movie i saw the movie it was great and uh i watch every christmas movie out i remember it well so good on you for that one thank you and it was a lot of fun to write we tried to we tried to shake it up and i got to work with darlene love we wrote the part to darlene love as darlene love and she, we didn't write it for Whoopi and have to change it to Darlene. We didn't write it for Gladys. We wrote it for Darlene. And we tracked her manager down and called her, and she took the part. We were so excited. That's great. I love that. And she was perfect in it, too. I mean, that, good deal on that. All right, we're running out of time here. I want to get quickly into the love of travel and love of cooking. Let's talk about those two things briefly. And then we'll have you back to fill in the gaps later on. But talk about where the love of travel came from and talk about this whole cooking, where that came from. Well, the love of travel, I guess, accidentally was put in by my, my precious vagabond mother. Uh, it's not hard for me to pick up and go. You know, I, I really enjoy international travel. I, I, you know, have seen some pretty interesting places. I don't, um, I don't know where I'm headed next, but um always looking because I was hungry. I'm that kid that didn't have enough to eat growing up. My mom worked and there were times when uh, 
there was nobody to make dinner. If I, and so I learned by the age of 10, if I wanted cookies, I had to make some cookies. I was grocery shopping by the age of 10 for the family. My brothers and I, we all helped out. We pitched in. I learned to cook, and then I lived with my aunt for a couple of years. She had been to the Cordon Bleu in Paris, and I thought she was just getting slave labor out of me, making me be her sous chef. But in essence, <laughs> she was teaching me how to make a proper bechamel and everything else. So I learned she taught me everything in the world. She taught, that's why I can make souffles and fancy things because I was taught by her. Uh, and then the, I, I started a food blog from Franklin was tired of me telling him the same stories over and over. And he said, why don't you just start a blog? And I started Eat Greg Eat. And that gave me practice as I was transitioning from writing only screenplays to writing the book. I wrote Eat Greg Eat, and I would, you know, just share funny stories about ways to cook. And I I cook every day. I write every day and I cook every day because I have to eat every day. That's always a good thing. I hear that eating every day is good for you, so that's good. (laughs) <laughs> I like that. Well, and you've had such fun. I loved watching those episodes. I saw a couple of them um, for the unique desserts because I am a dessert person, of course, a uh, very chubby guy. But uh, I, I just love Cooking Channel and Food Network are often on in the background when I'm out and about. So I love both They of those are things. wonderful and to work with. They're very supportive. They're great go- people. I like it. And and the bechamel sauce is the best base in the world for so many good, yummy things. So, yeah, we, we will definitely – we'll have a whole food segment someday. That would be that would be fun. I would like that. Great, great, great. All right, well, let's go ahead and wrap it up here, Greg. Um, talk about any projects coming down the pike we should be on the lookout for. We're going to hopefully see a television uh, adaptation of the Pink Marine. What else do we have looking forward to? I've got – uh, a movie in development now. I'm not sure, you know, no one knows what production is going to look like yet, but I just finished a, right. a new screenplay, The Wild Dark Comedy. Ooh, it is dark and wild and funny. I had a good time with that. It is called Chow Dara. We'll see if that finds the light. And then there's a, I'm working on a biopic for an Olympic athlete in South Africa. Also don't know uh, when that's going. It's another inspirational big, big story, a true story about a, a guy there. And another, uh, there's so much stuff in development. We'll just see what happens. I focus on uh, Pink Marine right now because we're, we're working, we're looking for a showrunner right now. I'm a writer producer on that as well. And so we're, we're nailing down the, the head writer, the showrunner, and then soon oh, we'll great. take it around and see where it's going to land, if it lands anywhere. There's no guarantee that it's going to be on the air, but let's hope so. There you go. There's so much uh, distributors out there of good content. We'll find some place for it because there's got to be something. That that sounds – it's an amazing book. So you will find it, my friend. Well, it's about time we see some – it's about time we see more Team Pain on the screen, right? Exactly. I like it. Well, Greg, please give everyone where they can find you. Give them your website and your social media. Everything is Eat Greg Eat. That's Twitter, Instagram. That's my blog, and I love hearing from people. And if you have any questions about the book or if anybody watches a movie that I've written or a TV show and has a question about what, who someone was like to work with or how did I come up with that joke, I'm happy to share it. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for coming on the Leftist Trade Show. As I said, we're going to have to get you back 
real soon. I have so many follow-up questions and more detail I want to go into. Thanks for being a trooper with us today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Great questions, by the way. Thank you very much. We're going to have more with uh, Greg on five questions with, so look for that bonus content. We're going to play out a little song now, guys. I'll be back in just a little while. You're listening to the Left of Straight show right here on the Left of Straight radio network. Wondering why with just one heart, one heart. 
All righty, guys, we are back. That is our friend Nico with Two Hearts. He has some new music out now, so be sure to check his website. Guys, my next guest is one of those multi-hyphenate types that's just made me sprain my fingers scrolling through his bio and profile. He's done so much great work as a writer, performer, singer, dancer, Julie the Cruise director. He's done it all. He's helped create an amazing streaming video game that if you're not playing with your friends during corona quarantine, you are failing at life, guys. He's currently writing for an amazing content. Oh, yeah. Madonna once complimented him on taking a negative she gave him and turning it into a positive. Before she was British, of course. Please welcome to the show for the very first time, Mr. Dennis Hensley. Dennis, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. That was quite an intro. You really, uh, you really hit the, bu- the big bullet points, so thank you. Well, you are quite the guy. Like I told you off air, you have done so much over your lifetime. We could be talking for three hours. I just don't have enough time on the podcast. How's everything going in L.A.? You know what? I'm I'm hanging in. I'm keeping busy. I'm doing puzzles. Luckily, my, my work has been pretty busy, so um, I can't complain, that's for sure. A writer's work is never done, it seems, right? That's true, actually. <laughs> I don't know if anyone's work <laughs> is ever done, but, yeah, it always feels that's like true. it's one more draft, but one writer- more fix. Yeah. Exactly. What's uh, who, wrote, who said rewrite, rewrite, rewrite? Who wrote that book? A, a famous uh, television writer, I think. Uh, if you're not, I know writing, I've seen writing. it, but I can't. Yeah, no, for sure, it's a big part of it. <laughs> well, let's start out a little backstory since it's your first time on the show. Let my listeners yeah. know about where you grew up, what kind of a kid were you, and what you first want to be when you grew up. Um, I grew up in a little town called Holbrook, Arizona, on Route 66, about 5,000 people. Um, I was the kid that didn't do all the rites of passage that the other boys my age did. I didn't play Little League. I didn't become an Eagle Scout. I didn't go on a mission for the Mormon (laughs) Church. I was always sort of the one that didn't do the thing. But I was always really um, into creative things, Um, you know, show choir and the theater department and speech and drama and stuff like that. Um, Yeah, I didn't get picked on too much, luckily. My town wasn't that bad in that way. Um, Yeah, I always... I always thought my imagination was going to be my my roadmap, my ticket, like my creativity. I always I always felt pretty tapped into that idea, for sure. Sometimes it hasn't been easy, nice. believe me, but um, I always felt like that was that I was meant to be doing something in the in the creative realm, for sure. And were you writing a lot as a child? Did you do a lot of creative writing and make up your own stories, or what did the love for writing I come about? You know what? It came about. Um, I, I did some writing, like in school, like everyone does, like term papers and stuff. And in fact, I think I, I won an award for my term paper. But I, but I didn't. I always thought of myself more as a performer. I wanted to be a kid from fame and be in musicals <laughs> and be an actor and stuff. And I worked on cruise ships for about five years as a dancer in my early twenties. And during one of the breaks from that. I auditioned for Madonna's Blonde Ambition Tour as a dancer, and I was such a fan at the time, but I also kind of had an eye on the overall picture, and I could see how absurd it was that I would daydream that we would become best friends. So after the audition, <laughs> and of course I didn't, I didn't get the job, I got you know, eliminated pretty early, um, I wrote a story about it, like a first-person, like Confessions of a Boy Toy Wannabe, it was called, and I started sending it to different magazines 
And Movie Line Magazine, the editor there, liked my voice, thought it was funny, and ran the story. And then he started giving me assignments, and that's how I sort of transitioned away from pursuing performing opportunities to, to writing. And, um, and then it just kind of grew from there. But uh, I'm very grateful for that editor, Ed Margulies, for, for he used to say that he knew I was a writer before I did, which is kind of true. Um, He's no longer with us, but like uh, that was a that was a very big break. But it was born out of me, like you know, sending stuff around and hustling, you know. So the things kind of worked out that time. It was great, yeah. And then I I like that. uh, Started doing more and more magazine work, a lot of interviews, celebrity profiles. That that was my bread and butter for a while. and then uh, Detour Magazine gave me a, a fiction column because I had been writing for free for them for a few years, so I had a little bit of clout. And um, <laughs> we, it was called Misadventures in the 213, and uh, it, it ended up turning into a novel, uh, which was my my first book. of I've written two books, but uh, that was the first one in 98. Since then, I've done different things in, in the business, kind of bounced around, this thing ends, try that. It's been a it's been a odyssey, that's for sure. Um, but you know, at the at the lowest times, I I remind myself that I picked it, and it's it's the stuff that I wanted to be doing. So, so there yeah. There you go. That's funny. Well, it's a great story. I yeah. have a bunch of those things I want to ask you about. Let's go back first, though. Talk about you're an openly out and proud gay writer. You support so many um, LGBT charities and stuff, which we'll talk about later. When did you first come out sure. to yourself, and who was the first person you told? I was in college, and I think I think I didn't couch it when I I I, I was in a musical, and ooh, well, you know, there was there was this thing before that. Um, I was a, a music counselor in a music camp, and I had a big crush on one of the other counselors, and we became really good friends, but neither one of us ever acted on it or said anything about it. And it was really weird. And then not long after that, I got into a musical um, at school and I had the crush on the other dancer that was in it to the point where I, it was the first time I remember feeling like that sort of drunk in love, wake up in the morning. It's almost an ache. Like you're just oh, yeah. driven to distraction by them. So I, to me, it wasn't like, oh, I'm gay. It's more like, oh, I'm in love with this person. Um, and this would have been like, uh, sophomore year in college, uh, junior year in college, and then I remember talking to one of my roommates about how I felt about this other dancer. It did, nothing ever happened with him. Uh, he was kind of a jerk ultimately, but I remember that would have probably been the first person that I talked to about having having an attraction for another guy. And then I didn't do anything physical until I was on a cruise ship after college. So I... Uh, mm. My my first sort of romance was, was with a busboy from Mexico, <laughs> that which was one of the cool oh, wow. things about working on cruise ships, is you met people from all over the world. So, um, so yeah, I was kind of a late bloomer in that way, um, and then I didn't come out to my family until my first book was published. Um, I I kind of had to because it was all going to be there, um, and I wrote a letter, <laughs> and it it, it was. It was fine. It, my mother never really talked about it. Um, 
but it was but it was fine. She didn't treat me any differently. My father had already passed away, so yeah, I I was kind of a late late to the party with some of that stuff. But there was never any huge drama around it. But of course, there's the fear that you're going to get rejected or people aren't going to accept you or you know, and you don't want to hurt your family and things like that. But um but I was never disowned or anything like that. It was it was okay. But I was also an adult, you know. I was, but I do remember being frustrated because my my novel was coming out, which should be this huge, exciting moment of like accomplishment, and I and I had to write this letter, and potentially mm-hmm. alienate the people that I love. Like it just felt like, oh, this is such crap that I have to do this. You know, I kind of resented that. Yeah, and I but I wrote the letter and and you know and it worked out. But but I, it was it was kind of like I remember things were popping up online uh, related to it, and a friend from high school was like, "You better you got to come out because this stuff is I'm starting to read stuff," and it was silly stuff <laughs> like that I had a crush on Joey Lawrence or whatever that was probably out there and true. Um, but yeah, it was kind of like a I couldn't put it off any longer. And um, it wasn't that my family was that disapproving. We just didn't talk about personal things. So it was kind of right. broke. It's kind of venturing into this whole personal territory, not even just the the gay thing, but just having any kind of conversations like that. So, um, but but we did it, and uh, and we survived. I, I wish I had that letter. I don't know what it. I wonder what I would think of what it said. You know. Oh, that would be wild. But, yeah, can you imagine? Mm, yeah, very wild. Yeah, I do remember. I remember saying, you know, um, I know. Don't worry, don't worry about AIDS. I'm, I'm careful, and like trying to, trying to put the, any of their fears that they may have to rest. You know, uh, that right. I'm happy, that I'm, that I'm, dream. You know, that I'm, that I'm fine, um, and this is part of who I am. I don't think it was a shock to anyone though. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, now, so a lot we, of we not, most survived people it. Know, as much as we all try to hide it and we think we hide it, some, I think usually they the do. family knows. Yeah, the family knows. I mean, knows. I just think there's so much – I think there's so much pain in this world because we don't let people just be who they are because we right. see them. We, we, have, we have eyes and ears, and I think this has to do with gender, sexual orientation, all kinds of things. Let people be who they are. Um, well said. So, there's my soapbox moment. Yeah. No, there you go. Well said. I like it. Well, I want to go to a couple of these. I mean, you talk about your misadventures in the 213. It's about time for a sequel yeah. now. I think there's 818 310 323. There's a lot of. Uh, That's right. There now. <laughs> yeah. Talk about right that as the book, book was and, coming uh, out. The adventures. Yeah, the, the book came out in 98, and right as it was coming out, they changed the Hollywood area code to 323. So it was sort of like. A kind of, I don't know, some people thought I might be upset by that, but I thought in a way it sort of cemented it in its time because it's very um, very 90s in terms of what happens and, and it's two nice. aspiring friends trying to succeed in Hollywood and the ridiculous lengths they will go to and how things always blow up in their faces. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I'm really proud of that book and, and there are, are real fans of it that I've met over the years, and I've always wanted to make it 
a TV show or something, and I've come close, and it's never quite happened. And um, but I'm kind of exploring doing it as a podcast now because there are Ooh, more narrative podcasts, problem. right? And people can do them now. So anyway, nothing's nothing's you know locked in stone, but I'm kind of pursuing it that way, and I haven't given up on making something more from that from that book. Um, yeah, and I I could write a sequel, I suppose, but I don't know if it would be – that book has a certain innocence and happiness to it around going for your dreams and stuff. Uh, <laughs> this book, if I wrote a sequel, it would have a, a little bit of a different tone. I've, I've seen some things and been <laughs> through some things, huh? but a <laughs> little more – yeah, a little more – yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe, something like that. But uh, I – You should do it. Thank you. I will simulcast yeah, it right here on Left to Straight Network. Or I'll host and produce it. You just let me know. That sounds amazing. Okay, that's very cool. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Anytime. You um, talked about these great interviews you've done. I teased the Madonna story earlier, which you expanded on. Talk about some of these other yeah. Let's name drop a bit. I mean, Charlie Theron, uh, Carrie Fisher, Celine Dion were in May the 4th Be With You Week. Talk about a Carrie Fisher story. I interviewed Carrie Fisher two times, and the first time was in 93 or 94. I remember I was doing jury duty when it was happening, and I pitched Detour, the idea of doing her, because she had just come out with a book called Delusions of Grandma. And I was just a fan of hers, and I just thought, I I kind of thought, like, if I met her, we would click. You know, you have those fantasies, right? And and it was it was kind of like that. Like I showed up at her house and I said, where do you want to do the interview? And she said in bed. So we did, we, I hung out, you know, I sat on her bed with her and we talked for quite a while and, and she was everything I wanted her to be. And then near the end of it, Debbie Reynolds breezes in and they play out this scene that's straight out of postcards from the edge. And I'm just sitting there eating it up. And, um, Oh my God. Yeah, and it was it was really it was really wonderful. I it was and, and it was one of probably my favorite interview that I've that I've done. Um just because I had, had this idea of what it could be like and it kind of was like that. Um she liked being interviewed or she liked talking and having conversations. So she it wasn't like some people that that don't like that process and um right. I just she had such a great wit and uh a sense of irony and uh, it was wonderful. Uh, yeah. I, I feel I was so sad when she passed away because I felt like I had a real great um, experience with her back in the day. Oh, so, yeah. And then I interviewed story. her a few years later. I interviewed her a few years later for the advocate and it was great as well. Um, she had written about, she was never married to Brian Lord, but they had a, child together and then he came out as gay so it was her novel that was sort of loosely based on that experience of like you know having a child with somebody and uh, being the super pro-gay you know person in, in, in the culture and then not realizing that the man you're in love with that you're having a baby with is gay and sort of the, the um, absurdity of of that situation. That's what the book was about, and it was super fun to talk to her again. Yeah. That, oh my goodness, that is so cool. And then I just remember going. I was going through your bio, and there's so many interesting things. As I said, I like uh, that uh, 
script you co-wrote um, testosterone and you have on one side Antonio Sabato Jr., very Republican, and you have Jennifer Coolidge, very much in our camp. <laughs> I think that had to be. Yeah. Did you ever go on the set on that? Were you ever on the set for that, right? Yeah, I, I did. It was directed by a guy named David Morton, and we wrote the script together, and it was shot in Argentina, and I got to go down there for like three weeks and, and observe and, you know, maybe do some, some adjustments to the script or help out in whatever way I could and. Um, it's so weird that Antonio ended up being this big right-wing personality because he didn't strike us at all like that, or me anyway. And he was very um, game to do whatever was required for the part. He played a gay character, and he had love scenes and um, and things like that. I, and he did full frontal nudity in the movie. So when he started um, popping up as this sort of right-wing spokesperson i think the the movie got written about in in some ways is like you know his sorted gay past movie mm-hmm. like he had done porn or something which of course he he hadn't um right but uh it was such a great experience to be shooting in argentina and uh we got to go to the toronto film festival with it and yeah i haven't looked at the movie in a while i'm very curious to see how i i feel about it but boy it sure was a great experience and I remember one time, that, you know, there's a moment where he shows frontal nudity in the movie. And I think you kind of, my memory is that he was, not only was he okay with it, but he knew that it would get people talking. Uh, you know, there was a, <laughs> there was a savviness around it. And and so it, it it did end up happening. And I remember going to a an early screening before it had come out or anything with the director. And he was holding the film cans of testosterone in his hands like suitcases one in each hand and i said um which reel is antonius's penis in and he just leaned over to one side <laughs> oh, i love that oh that's great <laughs> yeah that's one of my that's one of my more vivid memories of the of the testosterone experience but yeah it was it was cool like going to argentina and being able to to work on something like that it was cool it was oh, dark though find me a copy of that i want to see that so bad now you don't even understand the, the whole that. movie That's or the, the yeah whole i think movie. well I, I, i'm gonna beyond. zoom in on that part yeah i may pause between you and me and the fence yeah post, but uh no the whole movie yeah no that, it happens i think it might even be on youtube but yeah it's it's for sure it's it's it's, it's out there and you know it was a little bit it was a little bit of a dark comedy noir kind of it was a little bit of a messed up premise you know in terms of it wasn't a shiny happy gay story you know it was a little right. uh screwed up so some some reactions i think were a, were a little i remember being in san francisco at the castro and there were a few people at the q a that were that didn't like things about it or you know thought it reflected gays in a bad light or why wasn't the women weren't empowered. I don't know. There was a whole little Q and a moment, but, but I, I was proud to be a part of it. And it was, a, it was a overall for sure. There you go. It's written by an LGBT man. So it's like, we're not purposely trying to harm the community. So get over yourselves. I like that. Very cool. Part of equality means being able to show all kinds of characters, all kinds of stories. Exactly. That's what equality looks like to me. For sure. Well said. I like that. 
Let's talk about one of your newer gigs here. Uh, you've been writing scripts for the Wondery podcast called Imagined Life. Uh, it's become quite popular. Talk about that show, what it's about, and kind of your process for writing these. Uh, thank you. Yeah, it's been my main gig lately. Uh, Wondery's a really cool podcast company. They do a lot of true crime type stuff. And this was an idea that one of their – the president had – where each script takes you through the life of a well-known person, but you don't know who you are until the end, and it's written in second person as though you are that person. So if you might hear, like, you walk into the audition, your hands are sweaty, you know, and it follows right. through from oh. there. So the, as you're listening, you have the experience of trying to figure out who it is, but also you feel like you're kind of going through it with them. And so often at the end, they can be quite moving because you kind of get what these people that we admire, what they sort of overcame to become who they are. And there's this catharsis that could happen at the end that's quite moving. I often cry when I listen to them. And I also cry when I write them um, mm. oddly. Maybe it's just, maybe it's just because the world's going to hell, but I, <laughs> I find it quite moving when I, when I write them. So, you, you research their life. You try to find at least one really great book, maybe one that they've written themselves, and then you, you try to piece together a script that hits significant moments in their lives, what motivates them, what they're going through, what the sort of themes are in their life that they're, they're sort of up against, and then you try to just feel into them and just kind of bring them to life in the script. They're challenging to write, but... The production is so well done. The sound effects and the music and the hosts are Virginia Madsen and Robbie Damon, who do an incredible job with voicing the different characters and stuff. So uh, it's something I'm very proud to, to be a part of because I think it, it's um, a positive it, – it's putting something nice into the world, something very humanistic and, um, and moving and inspiring. So um, – well, yeah, I it's been a really cool thing. Like I said, you sent me a great link, and I love Virginia Madsen, as I told you out there. I'm not familiar with Robbie, but I just listening to small snippets like that I have heard. I need to check him out. But that's such yeah, I had such a great concept. Yeah, it's wow. really clever, and uh, they do a really good job with them. Um, I wrote one of the very first episodes. It's called The Daydreamer. That's a good one to start on if you want to see if you if you like that kind of podcast, but um, yeah, I'm really, I'm really proud of it. I'm working on somebody right Hi. now who is very uh, beloved in the LGBTQ community, but I can't say who it is, but there's been a few of them that dealt with those themes. I did one uh, not long ago called the model that was about a well-known LGBTQ personality, but half the fun is not knowing who it is until the end. So I don't want to give it away, but yeah, it's been go. fun to write about those themes. Yeah, for sure. I bet that is very cool. I like that a lot. And true crime. I mean, I, I have been through these wonder. I know they were last time I checked true crime podcasts were 40 out of the top 50 podcasts out there right now are true. That's crime. what everybody is. It's into. Such a, Everybody's into it's a it. Huge yeah. Genre. I'm not that into it. Yeah. But people love that stuff. Yeah. I'm not sure why. Maybe it makes them feel better about their own place in the world, or I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I don't either. I was wondering because I don't. Under, it's not my yeah. cup of tea at all. But it is popular yeah. as heck, I guess. 
So for sure. Well, and let's talk about. Um, I want to bring back bring back Madonna again because you had this. Uh, you talked about your week of holiday, which is a little short that you wrote and we're in, and it's kind of got a little play again. Talk about that experience. And that sh- that yeah, um, I, I partnered with two of my very good friends, Glenn Gaylord, the filmmaker, and Nadia Ginsberg, a really brilliant actress and uh, dancer and writer. And we created this short film called If We Took a Holiday, and it just got sort of reposted last week by a gay blogger, Greg Hernandez, and that was really nice. Um, but it came out in like 2014, I think, and uh, played the festival circuit. But the premise is I play a, a gay guy of a certain age who is heartbroken because he just got dumped. And for his birthday, his actress friend, Nadia, agrees to be Madonna all day. And that's his present. He gets to spend a day with Madonna, which is his fantasy. And so they embark on this day of adventures with her playing Madonna. And then some things go awry and they don't turn out as, as, as they want them to, but it's about friends sort of seeing each other through the hard times, uh, through creativity and, and, uh, and fun. And Nadia's impersonation of Madonna, her take on her is so endlessly hilarious to me and so insightful (laughs) that I can't get enough of it. That was kind of the, the genesis of it. Glenn and I were like, can't get enough of this, um, of, of Nadia. So we kind of came up with this fun idea together, developed it for a long time, but there's musical numbers in it. It's, uh, you know, it's pretty ambitious for a short and uh, we're really happy that it, it kind of found another life in the last couple of weeks with people discovering it online. It's on YouTube and Vimeo and, and it's, it's fun. I think for a certain age, Madonna was some of our sort of, she was our diva there for a while. And uh, so I think there's certain people that really relate to all of the little in jokes and all of the little uh, fantasies of being, you know, part of her posse for a while. So it's fun. Yeah. That's great. Sounds amazing. Yeah. And I, I, like that. A, I got to kiss a really cute guy named Johnny Glasser, which was great. I bonus. Always a bonus. <laughs> You know, Good some people job. are like, "Ooh, I don't like that. It's so uncomfortable." I was like, "I was so into it." It helps when you have yeah, him with the writer, right? You can, you can make these things happen. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it worked I out. Like it. We got to dance and have fun. There's a musical number that happens at a taco truck. It's like a takeoff of La Isla Bonita. It it, it was it's silly, but um, we're all really proud of it and. And Nadia, I watched it recently for the first time in a, in a couple of years, and she has some line readings that just make me laugh so hard every time I see it. So, yeah, I'm there's a scene where we, pull, we there's a scene where we pull up to a parking meter, and I'm like, I've got some change, I'll get it. And she goes, No, it's your birthday, allow me. And she steps up to the parking meter and she goes, park car for one hour. Like she doesn't know how a, par- a parking meter works. <laughs> and I don't know why I find that so endlessly amusing. Um, you know, just rich, famous people don't know how things work in the world. Um, that makes oh, me laugh hilarious. every time I watch it. Yeah. So <laughs> it's fun. It's good. Nice. Yeah. 
Well, we're in the middle of Corona Quarantine 2020, so we got to talk about this game. You created it last year when everything was fine in the world called You Don't Know My Life. Um, Talk about the game and how people are using it. It sounds just so much fun, and you're doing it for some great companies and different virtual parties. Talk about it. Well, um, I, uh, because of my background as a, as a journalist, I developed these offbeat questions over the years that I would pepper into my interviews that, you know, would make them a little different offbeat. And I started a podcast in 2014 called Dennis Anyone. And I put all these cards, these questions on cards, and I called it the observation deck. And people really loved the observation deck. And a friend of mine said, you should make a game out of this. So I started thinking, how could it be a game? And one of my very good friends, Jeb Havens, is a professional game designer. So I told him the idea, and we sort of talked through it and figured out how it could be a game. We started playtesting it, and it certainly evolved over time. And in uh, 2018, we did a crowdfunding campaign to make the games. We got up on Amazon in 2019. And so we've been selling that way and doing parties all over as much as we could for the last year. And then when the lockdown happened, um, we figured out that we could do these on Zoom and sort of host them for people. So we're doing these virtual game nights almost every night. Somebody will book us, and I'm the MC, and Jeb or Felix, another friend of ours, runs this board that we have, and we operate it in a very interactive way. We ask these offbeat questions, like we did a game night last night with these all-ladies nights. So it was all women friends, and the question was, what kiss from your life? felt like something out of a movie and then everyone texts in an answer and then the answers get mixed up and presented and then you take turns guessing who said what so you learn a lot about your friends and you remember things from your past that you totally forgot about you share stories and you get to kind of guess and and there's the game element of it that makes it sort of fun but it's really about people sharing stories and celebrating what it means to be human. And um, it's silly at times and poignant at times. And it's been really meaningful to connect with people on going to a party every night with mostly people that I don't know and uh, hearing about their lives and their stories. And it's really kept my spirits up during this pandemic. We sort of, you know, people make a booking and we set a time to do it and, We've been having people sort of pay what they can, suggesting like $10 per person. And um, and that helps us cover our expenses and stuff. And and we've just been having a blast with it. So if you want to get a group of friends together, uh, let us know and we'll we'll do a party for you. But it's it's been really fun. And um, now there's a little bit of interest because of these virtual game nights and turning it into something for television. So that's just sort of starting to crank up as a possibility, but um, we're encouraged and we're excited and, and it's, it's been a meaningful thing to do during a really strange time. So that's been great. Well, congrats. Congratulations. It Thank sounds you. like it's amazing. And I, I yeah. have friends that are doing a lot of these zoom conferences and I guess there are other games you can play online with different people, but this one sounds great. I like the personal personalization of it. Sounds like it's a lot of yeah. fun. Yeah, it's so the fodder for it cool. is all experiences from people's own lives. You know who played the other night? We've had her on twice, actually. Susan Anton, the actress. Um, <sighs> do you remember her from, like, Golden Girl? Golden. She had a movie called oh. Golden Girl. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm obsessed with her. She's glamorous and funny well, and has made a story. Back in the day, honey, yeah. To- back, yes, and she's still gorgeous. She's gorgeous as ever. And the other day she started telling a story. It started like this. Well, I was talking to Shirley McLean while we were shooting Cannonball Run 2, and I'm like, say no oh. more. I'm in. Let's just do two oh. hours about Cannonball Run 2. Yeah. So, but, um, yeah. So, We've had fun people on. We've had three generations. We've had, like, young people playing with their grandparents. And a lot of the online Zoom games, I think, people can operate themselves. Where we're at at this particular iteration is they book the game through us and we facilitate. Um, But we're trying to move toward a version that that people can do on their own. But, yeah, so people can learn about that at youdon'tknowmylife.com. I I mean, you can do it yourself, but I think it might be more fun to let – an outside person do it. That way you can kind of concentrate on the game more. I think it helps in this case for sure because you feel people are logging onto Zoom. Have, some of them have never even been on Zoom before. So there's like, what's happening? What's happening? But if you have like a sure <laughs> hand guiding you through it and facilitating, I think it makes it a better experience. It's like they get to be in sort of a game show and, and get guided through every step of the way. So it's been really, really fun. Yeah. Well, that makes sense, and I will have to maybe – I just uh, got a group of people together to be correspondents for the show, so maybe we'll all have a virtual night to get to know each other because none of them really know the other. I think that's amazing. So that would be it, it would be so our much pleasure fun. to do it, for sure. Oh, and then you say and Susan yeah. Anton. I got to talk to Lonnie Anderson the other day. Both of those people were my oh, good for you. favorite women back in the day. Yeah, so that's yeah. so cool. No, we'll definitely that's awesome. we'll do that. I'll, I'll, I will talk to you off air. Oh, I'd love to, yeah. Sure. So nice. people can buy it on Amazon too to play to play at home. So yeah. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure getting to know you. I can, like I said, there's so much stuff in your background that I want to talk about. I mean, you've done great work on Sirius XM. Frank DeCaro is a great friend of the show, of course. You filled in for him. I want to hear about Twist. You've raised money with other game shows for the LA Gay and Lesbian Center over a hundred and ten thousand dollars. That was back in the day. So you are just amazing, my friend. Thanks for being part of the Leftist Radio. Oh, today, Dennis. thanks very much. Well, thank you. You know, I I have done a lot of different things, but I've sort of had to because this thing will this door will close, and then you kind of have to scramble. So um, I appreciate uh, that it kind of tells a story of. <laughs> it feels like wow, he's done a lot of stuff. It's kind of like oh, he scrambled. <laughs> is 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 how it feels. So thank you for your kind words. I appreciate it. Well, it may feel that way, but it reads totally different. It's just fascinating to me and all my listeners. So I appreciate you taking the time. We will have well, you back on soon to kind of get part two because there's so much. I have another page of notes, Dennis. i got to tell you this. We oh, got, wow. we got That's awesome. Well, thank you. Let everyone know where they can find you. If they want to follow you on any social media, or do you have a website? Tell them how they can uh, look you up. Yeah. Uh, I'm at DennisHensley.com. And my podcast is called Dennis Anyone. It's available wherever you get your podcasts. And you don't know my com is where you can learn about the game. And the game, you know, the box game is on Amazon. Um, you can get it there. Or the virtual game you'll find on our website. And you can set an appointment and we'll do a party for you. Amazing. Guys, follow this guy. You're going to enjoy every second of it like I have got to do this past week getting to know Dennis. Dennis, we're going to have you back on soon. We're also going to play a special five questions with Dennis, so look for that for a little fun and frivolity. Thanks so much for being on the show. Stay in line, guys. We're going to play out a little song, and I'll be back in just a little bit. You're listening to the Left of Straight show right here on the Left of Straight radio network.
place you're always going I can never see the water in the veins that's overflowing I can never see the walls that were supposedly left before me Never keep my mouth shut Always wanna give it and never wanna give up I'm just trying to keep this holy Leave the rest The destiny That's our good buddy, Matt Stern, with Travel Around Your World. Guys, i got to give a big shout-out and thanks to my guest today. Thanks so much for our Writer's Block Thursday with Greg Cope uh, White and Dennis Hensley, both amazing writers in stage, screen, television, writing, interviews, everything. Between the two of them, they've done it all, and it was my pleasure to talk to them today. Guys, I've... This is a live closing. We do live opening, live closing, and some of our interviews are live now, as you know. Um, But I wanted to say I was going to end the show today talking all over social media was the killing of this young um, 25-year-old black man, Ahmad Arbery, I think is how you say it, who was just jogging around a Georgia neighborhood and was basically tracked down and killed by two white guys. Um, father and son. One, the father is an ex-police chief or ex-police officer and killed the guy. And it's been all over social media. And the video has been out for two days. Now it's happened in February. It's been a while. Uh, And it's just shocking and appalling. And things that are happening in this country just should not be happening. Um, So I was going to address that. The good news is right before I came on the air, today is they arrested that father and son. 
because they got away with it. They were they were let go from back in February. Nothing has happened. Well, because of that video, it's been reopened, and the father and son were arrested today. I hope they stay in jail. I hope they can't find bail. We'll see what happens with this. Uh, we have so much farther to go here, guys. But we have with Corona and everything else going on, we've got to be nicer to each other. So I want to talk about that tonight. We'll finish off with that. I didn't want to finish on a sad note, but I had two great interviews. So I just want to say that the happy note is they are arrested for doing a pretty heinous thing. But let's get it back up. We're going to have a great show for you tomorrow. I have three interviews tomorrow. It's our five day of five tomorrow. And two of the interviews are going to be live. So I have two live interviews coming. My good buddy, Matt Hayes. From California Beyond, he is an amazing actor himself, but of course also a writer and producer. We've talked to him a little bit about his film Cognitive that have just won so many great awards. He's going to be on and talk about that again, plus he is doing acting classes by Zoom. And so I wanted to feature him doing that. And then after Matt calling in live is going to be Lyric Cruise. You guys know I love dancing, and Lyric Cruz is an amazing dancer and choreographer. You've seen him everywhere, but the cool thing is he is lead dancer on the new season of Penny Dreadful. And if you're not watching Penny Dreadful, it's a great series on season two right now. And I think he's going to be featured this weekend. So he's going to call in Toronto and talk about that. Then we're going to finish up with a pre-tape interview that I did just the other day with an amazing guy. His name is Tanner Zipchin. He's Canadian. He was a DJ and won a contest in Canada to do the preview show for a huge movie chain in Canada, over 1,300 movie screens. And he's been doing this for five years now. This reason to let him go because they're a corporate idiot. But we had a great interview. He's interviewed everyone from – they send them all over the place. He was on Junkets. He would go to Romania, to Budapest, to London, to Hawaii. He went to Hawaii and did a lot of the – cast of Jurassic Park. He went to London and did um, Hugh uh, Jackman. He's just done all these amazing interviews. He has a great story to tell. He's a great guy. We had a good interview. You're going to talk to him tomorrow. And so three great interviews. We'll be back tomorrow for that. Uh, Please follow me on social media. If you're not already, please go to at left of straight on Twitter and Instagram. And that's always spelled L-E-F-T-O-F-S-T-R and the number eight. Again, tomorrow we're going to have one big introduction, uh, big news about introduction of our Council of Gays, my special correspondence, and then be sure to be back Monday on Musical Monday. I'm going to have a huge announcement on Monday. So uh, we will talk to you soon. Thanks so much for being part of the Left and Straight Show. Thanks again to both my guests, to uh, Greg and Dennis, and you guys have a great night, all right? Be good to each other out there. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye.